Hello, Texas. I'm not going to give you any Alaska, Texas jokes, okay? You may be seated. Thank you so much. We used to always say in Alaska, you know, Texas messes with us too much. We'll cut ourselves in half. You're the third largest state. But, uh, but I'm not from Texas any, or Alaska anymore. But I do have roots here. Family all from Texas. And many, many years ago, my dad was called to Alaska back in the 50s. And uh, I remember talking to him one time, and he goes, you know, Daryl, was, it was a state that started with an A. And I'm like, Arizona? You know, Alabama? Arkansas? But Alaska? And my dad, man, he loved Alaska. He lived all of his, the rest of his life up there. He went to be with the Lord in 99, but he loved Alaska. I didn't love Alaska. Never loved Alaska. Said I would never live in Alaska. I would never pastor in Alaska. And wouldn't you know, I did 43 years in Alaska. Um, so I've been saying, Lord, I don't want to look like Tom Cruise and I don't want to be a millionaire. And, and you can see today there ain't no Tom Cruise up here and I'm not no millionaire. So anyways, you just tell God what you don't want to do. It's amazing what he'll make you do. And it's really cool when you finally get to a place he's not making you, you're just doing it. But it is good to be here today. It's an honor to be in Dr. Hurd's uh, podium. I'm just humbled and honored. Good to see his wonderful wife. And I love this family. Man, it was so cool to have him come to Alaska. And I have a history with him. And I remember being a young guy hearing him preach. And, and he, he, has, he could scare you sometimes. And, uh, but I love him. But he come and preach for me. And I, I was pretty fearful a little bit because he's, man, that dude can deliver the word. You're like, even when I was asked to come here, I'm going, could, could we just Google maybe one of my best sermons and play it? You know, I got to get up here. But uh, he wanted to see the Northern Lights. The bishop wanted to see the Northern Lights. And if the bishop asked for something, you got to figure out how to deliver it. And I was interceding and praying, God, let the Northern Lights come out, you know. And uh, I think it was March and they're not there a lot in March, you know. And uh, I don't know if you know what the Northern Lights are, but you want to Google it. And he was asking, and man, they weren't coming out. And finally, I dropped him at the airport. There's no Northern Lights. But he gets in through security. My, my friend and I are driving back, and all of a sudden, the Northern Lights come on. And so I call him. We get him out of security, and we go out. And I don't remember if he missed his flight or not, but he got to see the Northern Lights. And I was so excited. I said, thank you, God. You know, my prayer has been answered. The bishop has seen the Northern Lights. He can now go live his life in Texas. But, uh, but it's so great to be here. It's good to be here with my family. I have my wonderful wife, Pauline, with me and two of my boys. <clears throat> Blake is 15, and Colton's going to be 25, and he's single. Just thought I'd say that. Uh, he asked me not to say that, but, you know, again, you don't ask, don't tell Dad what not to say, you know. And it's also good to be here with my family. Denise and Jim Smith, they both attend here, and uh, I, think they, I think they're saved. But uh, if not, today is the day, my sister. But and then my eldest sister, Don and Jack, they're here. Uh, from Pensacola, Florida, and it's awesome to, to be there. So I've got to be on my A game today. I'm already in trouble with the bright shirt that I've got on. But I decide if I'm going to be in Texas, man, I'm going to wear a bright shirt. Hey, it's Texas, you know. 
But anyways, I pastored for about 25 years. I was able to just, God allowed us to have a great church in North Pole, and North Pole is a place, and I did pastor Santa Claus. Many pictures of Santa Claus sitting in there, and I'm telling you, when you ever have to preach and Santa Claus is in the crowd, you better do well. So you know you're going to get a good sermon today because, man, when you preach and he's out there, you're either on the naughty list or the nice list pretty quick. So I had to take it pretty serious. But the Lord called us out of full-time pastoring, and I've always loved missions. And one of the things that drew me to to Bishop Hurd was his love for missions and his travel. And uh, just every time I was with him, he would share his heart about missions, and it's just something about it. And uh, I've been, so far I've been able to hit a little over 100 countries since I was a kid. And I've traveled the world and I love it. But then God called us into missions. And I'm going to show you a little video because, again, be careful what you ask of God. Because he really likes to give gifts. He likes to do things for you. And this whole opportunity of a shoe company uh, took me right into the middle of Nike uh, pretty interesting deal. Uh, I, I could go on for an hour on just the testimony of that. But I want to show you this video because there's 300 million kids in the world who don't have a pair of shoes. 11 million kids will die before their fifth birthday because of a lack of having shoes in their life. And it's something I didn't know. I mean, we know they need water. We know they need medical and food. But I didn't know a lot about shoes. And all of a sudden, the Lord just opened this door. And there's some great companies that we're all working together until, until there's zero. We want to see every, every child have a pair of shoes. Ours is unique. You'll see in the video about that. But watch this, and then we're going to get into the Word. My 360 Project has developed a shoe to change and save the lives of children around the world. And in the process, they realized in order to help the children, they would have to disrupt the ordinary in order to discover the extraordinary. My 360 Project develops shoes because in the developing world, children must have shoes to access education. And without shoes, a child's lifespan and opportunities are drastically limited. Additionally, walking is the primary source of transportation. And when a child doesn't have proper fitting shoes, their feet are prone to disease and infections that can impact their overall health. My360 Project partnered with Mike Freeton, a former senior innovator at Nike, to design a shoe that would protect children's feet and transform the economy of communities around the world. As a world-renowned shoe expert, Mike's passion has been to develop shoes that enable feet to develop naturally. Well, Daryl came into my shop. Um, We sort of brainstormed, and I talked him into sort of some of my ideas, (laughs) which was I'd rather have them making it locally to distribute to the... so you empower the communities that you're trying to give the shoes to. And to me, that that was a better model. Where, you know, working with children is just like an amazing gift in there that you can just see their heart open up, you know. It's a completely different experience. Um, it's, there's much a sort of deeper connection there. Um, and at this point in my life, this is something a lot more fulfilling. You know, I spent many years working with athletes, and uh, it's great to be able to put a shoe on, the, on, on their feet and see them go out and do amazing things. Uh, but this is more, 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 a lot more than that. 
My 360 Project desires to disrupt the cycle of poverty by creating a sustainable solution of employment for those who have been victims of trafficking or are unemployable due to a lack of opportunity or education. Our shoes are handmade by local artisans. So rather than negatively impacting a community's economy, the My360 Project creates additional economic opportunity. There is power in the personal touch of washing a child's foot before giving them a shoe. The band Unspoken recently traveled with My360 Project to deliver shoes. Here's what Chad had to say about the trip. Being here with My360 Project has just been super neat because it's given us an opportunity to um, get our kids involved in the things that um, are important and close to God's heart. You know, an eight-year-old girl put shoes and washed the feet of an eight-year-old migrant worker, you know, from El Salvador, and the smiles and the connection and, um, and really living out that faith. And I think the washing of the feet is something that's so important. By sponsoring shoes to children in need, My360 Project is making an impact across the globe. The shoes are being made in the local community by disenfranchised individuals, giving those individuals income with purpose and dignity. It's time to disrupt, discover, and deliver. Pretty exciting. In fact, Pastor Steve is going to be leading a men's group next month. I think there may be one or two spaces left down to Vicente Guerrero, Mexico, and we'll be helping build shoes, and then we wash these kids' feet. I call it a holy pedicure, and uh, it just changes the lives of them, but more than anything, yourself. And we've been 14 countries now, and we're opening our second build center in Uganda. In fact, I jump on the plane tomorrow and head to Uganda. I've been going there for some time, and it is absolutely Amazing, but I told Pastor Steve, I said, if I ever come to you with an idea like this ever again, just hire me as the janitor of this church (laughs) because it's been unbelievable. We're actually doing a project right now, and you can judge me on this later, and maybe at the end of the sermon, God will forgive you for judging, but uh, we're doing a project with Alice Cooper right now, and it's just the coolest thing. His name is Vinny, and uh, wild to be, uh, and he's a wonderful Christian. A lot of people don't realize that about him. But God is opening some of the most amazing doors for us to go and administer. We've been invited and have gone into countries that Christians are not allowed to go. And we're not a Christian company. We're a faith-inspired, but we go in and we wash feet like Jesus. And not long ago, I was in a country with a group of people that are not believers in Christ. But after we had washed some feet, one of the main guys, I was walking with him, I put my arm around him, and he's of another religious persuasion. And I said, isn't it cool you were just washing feet like Jesus? It created such an incredible conversation because there's something about washing feet. And we're going to talk about that today in in the message. But thanks again for the opportunity to share this. You can text SHOES to 24365 for more information. And somewhere in the crowd is a friend of mine named Hannah that's gone with us. In fact, lived in one of our spots for about, uh, she just moved here to Houston. I don't know where Hannah's at. You could give me a yip, yip. There she is, Hannah. She just got married. And she actually served with My360 a couple of years ago over in Mexico. And thanks, Hannah, for coming out. I think she just moved here from... Ohio or someplace, I don't know, wherever it's, you know, just it's Texas. Come on. Is there any other state? Welcome, Hannah. Well, I want to get into the word this morning, and I want to read to you a very, very popular verse 
and give you some uh, some insight, not just on the verse, but I, I don't know about you guys and how you talk with God, but I've been in this conversation with God for some time. And I love, it's, you know, when you pastor, a lot of times you're dealing with God. I'm like, it's Sunday's coming, Lord. I need something. Uh, it's kind of fun now not to have to be pressured on every Sunday to have something, but it's fun just to talk to him and, and not have any agenda. Not that that's bad as a pastor. It's just... But I've been asking him some questions, and there's been something on my mind that's been bothered me. And I want to talk about that today. So if you don't get anything out of this, I guarantee you Dr. Hurd's going to fix it all next Sunday. Uh, but I do want to share with you. If you have your Bibles or your app or you want to look at the screen, one of the most common passages of Scripture is, is the Great Commandment or the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. It says, Therefore go... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word that has always stood out to me in that passage is the word go. And early in my ministry, I would always take the word gospel and I would capitalize the G-O of that and, and call it the go-ospel. And then I came up with a word. I love to make up words. And many years ago, I came up with a word called goology. And I, and I felt as a pastor, my job was to challenge our congregation to become goologists. And goology is the study of going in a Christ-intent way. And that it's, I, I made it up. I don't know if someone else did. It's just something that came there. I loved Edgar Allan Poe, and so he always made up words. So I made up words as kids, uh, as a kid. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about it. And the subject would be how to operate your go at this time that we live in. Because we all have to agree, at this moment in time, this is a unique moment, a unique time for, for the world. We've walked through the last couple of years, something we never suspected would ever happen. It's been interesting. But I want to challenge you today with this message about how do we operate your go in this time. If you would just pray with me for a moment. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with these awesome people. I thank you for my 360 and... Lord, just I'm so honored to be able to present it today. But I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Help me to share what you put in my heart. In your name we pray. Amen. So if I was doing a series, uh, I had the series I would do about the go is the first sermon I would preach would be your go can't be too preachy. And that's a whole subject in itself. Meaning, it doesn't mean we don't preach. It's just, I think, and I've, I've heard it today and I've felt it today, that people really need, that our presence is far more important to them than our opinion. And when I say our presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I sensed it in the first service as the Holy Spirit arrived and in the second service. You can feel, and when you know when the Holy Spirit is somewhere, it changes everything. It's an atmosphere change, and it's, nece it's a necessity for us as believers. And if we're not careful, we, we veered from that many times. A lot of churches, I get to speak in different places, and there's different churches I just like to yell Ichabod in sometimes because thy spirit has departed. It's a show. It's a lot of fun. But the presence of God, and I will say, and I'm not just saying this, the presence of God is here in this place. And that's important, and it's, it's a legit thing, and it needs to happen. And the second part, if I was speaking on the second sermon, it would be, your go will cost you. 
It'll cost you, but please don't wait until you have what you need. You have to be going to receive what it takes to go. You can't wait. We don't have time to wait. Well, if when I get this, you know, when this happens to me, no, you go. But where I want to take us today is the third sermon, if I was preaching a series, and is your go must be authentic. And this is the, the subject I've been uh, talking to God about is, you know, being your authentic self. As a pastor, many times it's tough to be that. You, you, who you, pastors can't do that. Pastors can't say that. And I've learned over the years that I'm at a spot in life where I, I'm just going to be me. But I want to be me and the power being generated by him. But we hear this, be your authentic self. Just be yourself. There's all these books. There's all this stuff. And this is the frustrating conversation I've been having with God is, what does it mean to be authentic self? We're, we're living at an exciting time, I feel. I feel like we are in a time right now that the church has this opportunity to see God move like never before. If there's ever been a time that we need to get to the place and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, it's now. And we have that opportunity, but it's incredible when we start talking about being authentic. So here is my conversation with God, and some time ago through a friend, God asked me a question, and that's fearful. I mean, you read the book of Job, and Job is saying his things, and all of a sudden God starts, where where were you, Job? But it wasn't that type of question that he asked me, but he asked me something so simple and so basic that it really made sense about authenticity because I feel like the life that I'm living and the life I want to live, the life I want to example for my family is be authentic, be yourself. Because I remember one time my mom, and I love my mom, and she's going to probably watch this and I'll get in trouble, but she, I, I was a teenager, and she goes, you know, Daryl, just be yourself. And, you know, whatever decision you make on this, well, I made it, and it wasn't the right decision. Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing when you're married. You know, hon, you just pick the restaurant. You go ahead. and It wasn't the right choice. Uh, you said for me to do it. You know, just be yourself. How many of you have been in trouble at school when they said, just be yourself, and then yourself gets you in the principal's office? You know, you're, yourself. You're, it's, it's frustrating. Just be your authentic self. And God asked me this simple question. He goes, how do you authenticate something? And I started thinking about that. And I, first service, I looked out, and there was a lady with a, a, a knight's mask on, so she, I knew she was from Vegas. And I've gone to Vegas a few times, and we'll leave it there. But the point is, in Vegas, there's this place called Pawn Stars, and you probably, you know, watch that. Uh, I was raised where you couldn't watch that, but I can watch it now. And, and what is Pawn Stars all about? Pawn Stars is about... Things being authenticated. They come in and, and they'll have this bottle of water and they'll say, hey, George Washington, drink out of this. You know, and uh, that's when the authentication starts. I mean, that's a far fetch there. But they'll have something, a watch or a knife or a gun or something like that. And, and what does it mean to authenticate that? It's the same thing in our own life is when we start talking about being the authentic self, there is what they call a POA, a proof of authenticity. And I Googled to see what that meant. 
and they have the factor of five. There's like five factors that they put out for authenticating you or authenticating something. And I'm going to read those five to you, but I'm not going to preach from them. But it's there's five factors. First off, something you know. So like if I'm authenticating who you are, it's something you know. You, you know your birth date. You, you're on the phone, and they'll say, give me your social security number. That's a way of authenticating uh, something you have. Um, you have passwords in your head. I mean, mine's one, two, three, four. It's pretty hard. Uh, something you are. You have like a thumbprint. There, there's an authentic thumbprint that you have. Uh, somewhere you are, a location. A doctor heard spoke that we live in Phoenix, and, and, and we have actually connects in Phoenix, but we've decided to move to Idaho, but that's where we're at at this moment. Uh, but we were living in Phoenix. Are, are something you do. And, and it's interesting because I have my sons and I'll hang out with them sometimes and I'm looking at them going, man, I do that as well. There's gestures that you have. So there's these factor of five that will authenticate you. But I, I, I want to take it a step further and kind of give you my own thought. I Googled myself or Googled in my mind of what does it mean to be authenticated. And the four things that I came up with was the biggest authenticator of your life is the person you talk to the most. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Who do you talk to the most? Oh, some of you spiritual people are saying, God, That's, you're lying. <laughs> you, you don't talk to God the most. Who is it? Anybody know? It's yourself. Number one person you talk to the most is you, yourself. And so you're the biggest, first and foremost, the biggest authenticator of you is you. The second one would be other people, hearing other voices. The third one would be the enemy, and you, these could all be in different order. It, it's, it's crazy what you hear in your head, what the enemy says, you know, is saying the song, whose report do you believe? And of course, the fourth one, and the most important, is the voice of God, God authenticating you. So as I'm looking at this, the person in the Bible that intrigues me the most about self that would fit into this message is Simon Peter. John 13 through 17 is an incredible passage of scriptures that it's Jesus with his disciples. And it would be what I would call the first upper room. We know Acts is the upper room, but really that's the second upper room. The first upper room is when he spent this time with his disciples through those chapters, helping them learn about authentication. And he starts something out with them in John 13 and 7, and he says something. Because this particular passage of chapter 13 is one of my favorite. It's about washing feet. But he says something to him. Jesus replied out of verse 7, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And he begins the process of washing feet. And of course, you know, he gets to Peter. And Peter says, No, you're not washing my feet. And there's an argument with this. Because Peter, again, he's authenticating himself. He's feeling like there's no way my master could do this. If you understand tradition and all of the situations that go along with that. But he says, no, you're not going to do this. Then Christ explains to him. And then he's like, okay, well then let's just take a shower together. Let's you clean everything. And Jesus says, no. No, it's just your feet. But as you flow through the passages of Scripture, you get to verse 37. And all these things are going on in there. And then Peter says this, What do you mean I'm not able to follow you now? I would sacrifice my life to die for you. 
And I mean, here's Peter, man. He is doing it because that's what we do to ourselves. I remember, you know, you pastor and I remember you, someone comes up. They've never been to your church service before. And you go, hey, it was good to see you. Oh, it's best sermon I've ever heard. And they're never going to come back. They just, they don't know what to say. But it's interesting what we say sometimes to people or, you know, we're trying to prove ourselves. You know, me being the baby of the family, I'm one of this, you know, four, well, five sisters and a mom. They're all strong. I'm the baby boy. I've always had to authenticate myself, you know, <laughs> especially because they all wore dresses. So I had to have <laughs> no hand-me-downs for this guy. I'm going to wear some pants. But you're always trying to authenticate. You're always the funny guy. You're always the one out in front. And Peter here, here he's saying, what do you mean? I, I'll follow you. I, I'll sacrifice my life for you. And if you continue to read in the verses, you'll see that Jesus gives him this word and says, you're going to fail me, man. You're going to deny me. And I love verse 1 of 14, and it goes on to say, but hey, Peter, don't worry about it. I got you. But Peter doesn't hear that because he's self-authenticated. He's trying to prove something. What happens in our life, especially as believers, we're trying to prove things or whatever it may be, new on the job or new in the team. And we're just trying to prove ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's all a part of really coming to the bottom line of who you truly are. Interesting, in John 18.10, Peter continues to do it. He draws a sword. You know how that goes. And he took out his sword and he struck the high priest's servant. He cuts his ear off. I mean, he's just, he's in this mode of really trying to prove to God, to the Son of God, that there's no way I'm going to fail you. And yet we find just a few verses later that Peter fails big time. Because it's the second part of people authenticating us. And there's this young lady. There's these people going, hey, aren't you the person? And you look at Mark 14, 71 and 72. Peter cursed and said, I tell you, I don't know this man you're talking about. And at the same moment, Peter spoke those words. The sound of a rooster crowed pierced the night for the second time. And Peter remembered The words Jesus had spoke to him earlier. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. With his heart shattered, Peter broke down and he sobbed with bitter tears. And man, this is where the third, the accuser of the brethren took over. How many of you had that in your life? You've had the accuser of the brethren saying, you're no good. Look at what you've just done. Look, look at where you've been. Look at what's going on in your life. And that's exactly what's happening here. See, he first started with authenticating himself. And then the next, he begins to hear voices. And, and, and then he denies who he really truly was. And now it's the enemy. The accuser of the brethren. The enemy has been after the narrative of your life since day one. Some of you, when you're in your mother's womb. It's interesting to see the attack on our life from day one. Living in a Christian home, I had an attack on my life when I was seven. It's interesting how the enemy's always after your gender. He's always after your identity. He wants to take over because he does not want you to know who you truly are. Here's what's interesting. When you're going through these things, you'll find out really quick who your friends are by how big your mistake was. 
But there's a God that's bigger than any of that. Because Peter's going through something here. There's something happening in his life and it's important for all of us to see it. Because if we don't see this, the impact that God wants you to have on this world, and I believe every person here, God wants you to have an impact on the world. And it might be the world of just one person. But it's an impact. But if he can keep you in a state of saying, I'm not good enough. If he can keep you in a place in your life to say, I can't do this. I don't have the talent. I don't have this. I don't have that. Then he's got you. And that's what he's doing here. Because if you look at the the parallel path of Judas and Peter, Judas has already committed suicide. He's already let those voices take over. But there's something happening in Peter's life here. Because in all of those chapters and verses that's in John's 13 through 17, Jesus was there just sharing word. Let me just read a couple of them to you. John 16, 1 through 3. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. 33 goes on to say, I have told you all these, this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So he's speaking to them, he's planting this in their heart, but they're still fussing and fighting. I mean, look at all the disciples, pretty much all of them failed. They didn't work it out too well in the end. But there's something bigger than that because we see that Type of results. It's interesting. We're result driven. We we want to see everybody do well. I mean, as a parent, I've got three sons, and man, we've walked through some things with them, and you always want to see them do right. Man, it's tough when they're not doing right, but that's a part of loving and caring and being a part of being a dad and a mom. You walk through that stuff. Same thing with Jesus. But so many times religion tells us that we gotta be perfect and we can't do this and we can't do that. I love John 17, 23. Jesus is speaking to his dad. I'm in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Man, and he's sharing this and they're listening. But are they truly hearing? They're going through this stuff. But then it takes us to four because... What God really wants us to hear more than anything in all this mess is his voice. What's important is what Jesus says about us. It's not going to negate all the other stuff. Man, I was a preacher's kid. Man, I called myself a T.O. P.K. means preacher. I'm a T.O. I was a theological offspring. That's kind of what I entitled myself. And my Lord, anything that I did wrong, it was brought to my mom, my boys, as a pastor. You know, I seen your boy with a red solo cup. I don't know what that means. It's a country and western song, I think. But I mean, all this stuff, you're always being pointed at. And yet, there's a process that God puts us all in. And we're always in the process. But I love this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 16. Because this is what I feel like is so important to what I'm trying to say today is Peter has said he would I'll I'll die for you Peter has cut an ear off a guy he's wielded a sword he's been tough and rough and then he has cursed Christ in the palace 
He's had bitter tears of sorrow. He's heard the voices that have annihil- trying to annihilate his life. But then something happens in Mark, and Mark writes it so eloquently. There's a messenger from God that meets the ladies at the tomb. And I love this passage because we can skim over it really quickly if we're not careful because the other Gospels don't record it this way. But it's important for us to see this, this messenger from Christ, this voice of God through this messenger speaks to the ladies and says this to them. And this is what's important. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into the Galilee There you will see him just as he told you. Man, I don't know about you, but that does something to me. When I read that years ago, and I began to study it, discover it, and realize who Peter was. Because, man, I was 18 years old, and I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm going to become an atheist. Now, my dad was a third-generation minister, and he's a gospel guy. He's Pentecostal. They can call fire down and zap you. I mean, look at what happened with some of those people in Acts. And my dad said something to me so profound because so many times, if you're not careful, we had too much zeal and not enough wisdom. And I'm going to tell you, as a father, sometimes I've used a lot of zeal on the boys and probably should have used a little bit more wisdom. But my dad looked at me and he said, good luck with that, son. Now, he could have given me this preachy tone, but he set me into an atmosphere that was different. I'm like, I thought there would be a little bit more argument. No, good luck with that. And man, I went on a journey. I left the home and I ended up in California. I ended up in Vegas. I ended up in places that we don't want to talk about. We could write some country and western songs with that period of time of trying to be an atheist. But I'm going to tell you something. God will find you wherever you're at. You, You can run, but you can't hide. I wish I had time to tell the story of how I met Mike Freeton from Nike. But it was all about me trying to become an atheist. Because Mike was not a Christian. And I, and I don't want to go into public life of his. But it all is a part of this story. But I'm telling you, I was out there trying to prove that there wasn't a God. Because I had been that one at seven years old that, that got saved and, and, and I'll die for you. And I was that one at 12. I was that one that dad put in front of the congregation and I preached on a Sunday night. And, I, and I'm telling you, I, I was going for it. But then I got hurt and things, you didn't understand this or that. And the next thing you know, you're like, this can't be real. But man, you go on that journey. And Peter was on that journey because it's all about authentication. Because it's wherever one of us are at. There's always a pressure on us. There's always something looking at our life. But I think it's learning how to embrace that and understand that this is a part of the process. Ain't nothing to be ashamed of. I, I don't have anything up here to be ashamed of. I've, yes, I've had some mistakes and I'll still make some mistakes. Maybe even later on tonight. Who knows? But the point is, is that Jesus said, and tell Daryl. Because here's where it came down. I was in Savannah, Tennessee that year. I had been traveling, getting crazy, doing some wild stuff. Had a ton of money. And I come from a missions family where we were broke. I didn't know how broke we were. I mean, you got to go fishing to get money out of the fish, you know. But I had made some money fishing, actually, literally. Had a little bit of money. But I was in Savannah, Tennessee the night before Thanksgiving. I think it was 83, maybe 84. 
My parents were pastoring in Seward, Alaska, this early 80s. There's no cell phones. There's no tracking device like you put on your kids' phones to know where they're at. I'm sitting in Pizza Hut. The Pizza Hut's still there. Bud was not making me wiser. That's a joke. And in walked Elder Davis, the pastor of Savannah, Tennessee, and he was one of my dad's good friends. How is it that I'm running from God? I'm chasing a blonde, not that blonde, but another blonde. She knows about her. How is it that I'm 4,800 miles from home doing everything I can to prove there isn't a God? And in Pizza Hut, in walks a guy and he says, are you Daryl Carnley? It's like a movie. Years later, when I read this passage, and it says, and tell Peter, I realize that that's what was going on that day. And tell Daryl. And the next thing I know, Thanksgiving Day, I'm at his home having dinner. I sobered up, thank goodness. And you would never believe it, but his son is Jaron Davis, who wrote the great song, Holy Ground. That Friday night, they were doing a concert. Their drummer was sick, and Jaron asked me to play drums, and I was a drummer. The atheist on the drums. And by that time, I was an agnostic, maybe. And here I am on the drums... And it's just, we just celebrated the 40th anniversary of the song. And it was about close to 40 years ago. And I'm playing. And I would never forget, I was doing a mallet roll. And we're singing that song. We're standing on holy ground. And there was God. And what's interesting, it's through those whole processes that authenticates who you are. It's in all of that stuff that I would have no message without the mess. I would have no testimony without the test. It's what we go through. But it's when you hear God say your name. There's nothing like it. I'm 55. I know I look probably 40. but And I still love hearing him say my name. There's nothing like it. The authentic call that's on your life. Don't wait. Don't let yourself. Don't let somebody else. Don't let the enemy stop it. Those voices will never go away. They're, they're, you are you. They're, they're not. There's always going to be someone critiquing you. There's always going to be an enemy voice. If you're waiting for that to stop, if you're waiting for that to be eliminated, you're going to be doing it the day that we're doing your funeral down here. Until then, when you hear his voice and you realize that he's walked you through this stuff for a purpose, it's that your go is to go on. That's why he said when he was washing their feet, he says, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now, but later you will. And it doesn't have to be when you're in a casket. It was later on that Peter realized when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, we're not drunk as ye suppose this being the third hour of the day. When he was walking into the temple and says, silver and gold have I none such as I have. Let me tell you what he was responding to. It wasn't his response of I'm going to die for you. It wasn't the response of the little girl saying I know who you are. It wasn't the enemy's response. No, he was listening to the call that Christ had on his life. 
And that isn't just for Simon Peter. It's for Daryl Carnley. It's for every person in this place. Your go is important. God didn't call you to set. He didn't call you to wait till all the circumstances were right. When we found Nike, I was on the East Coast. Nike's on the West Coast. I got up early that morning and we were staying in a very nice hotel. We were doing a project with Luis Palau. And I told my wife, she goes, where are you going? I said, today's the day. I'm going to meet somebody from Nike. And my wife goes, Nike's in Portland. You're in New York City. Not today. You know, not today, Satan. Nike's in New York. And within about 30 minutes of sitting and having coffee, I was in the Trump Plaza having coffee. I ran into the vice president of Nike. And it's the craziest story. One day I'll write a book about it. But it was wild because I'm telling you, when God has your number and your name and you listen to him and you take a step of crazy faith, he will meet you there. And it's not about prosperity. It's not about all those things. He just has an authentic you that he wants to bless. And man, Pastor Andrew had the best point of my sermon when he closed first service. He can't bless the unauthentic person. He can only bless the authentic person. You're wanting an anointing and you're faking it. Let me tell you, I'm Pentecostal, man. I've seen a lot of fake stuff. I've seen people run the aisles and do... I mean, I've watched people speak in tongues till they were about to pass out and walk out of the church and they're meaner than a rattlesnake. I think when the presence of God is in your life, He melts you. It changes the anger. It changes something in you because that's who you're called to be. I pray this for you as we come to a conclusion. And I want you to get this, the authentic can only happen when you're going you're authenticated as you're walking it out you're authenticated when when all of a sudden the voice says you can't do this and you're authenticated when the enemy says hey what about this in your life you just continue to go forward i told this to a congregation not long ago and i probably will never be invited back but i said when you're in your 50s you kind of care less what people think about you and maybe it should have been earlier in my life. But here's what I said. I don't want to be careless. I don't want to be careless. I, I get to meet some cool people. God allows me to be the road pastor for some different bands. And I get to go out and do some fun things. But I never want to be so careless that I forget what God's called me to do. I have fun. And, and, and it's a blast. But God's setting you beside people right now. I'll be flying on a plane tomorrow. And I believe there's someone on the plane to talk to. You can ask my wife and my kids. God sends me to people. And I chat with them. They said, how do you know all these people? I know them because I go up and talk to them. That's how I got a beautiful wife. I just talked to a lot of beautiful women and finally found one that said yes. That's not the truth. So I close with this point. What does heaven say about you? That's what fuels your go. He said, and Daryl, put your name in there at this moment. Go tell the disciples and whatever your name is. Say it right now. Just say your name. He's calling it. And Donna. 
and Jack and Colton. That's the key to everything. Is when you realize that God died on the cross for you. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Your mess doesn't mess with him. He's not OMGing himself about the stuff in your life. What he's saying is, is I know this. If you'll get up one more time than you fall, you'll make it. I know this about you. If you'll get up and you'll learn how to forgive and have reconciliation, it's pretty crazy what you can do and where you can be empowered to go. But if you're not careful, your go is gone because somebody's telling you you can't go. And I say this, until you've gone, you can't have a testimony. But when you've gone, you can have a testimony. Man, there's something about a testimony. You can't take Savannah, Tennessee away from me. You can't take Elder Davis walking in and saying, are you Daryl Carnley from me? You can't tell me that's not a miracle. That's the key. If you would stand to your feet and I just want to close in prayer. And if there's anything that can happen here today, I pray that your, your ears open and you hear him say your name. You hear him say your name. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. You're so amazing. (laughs) Thank you for calling my name. You know me best. You know the stuff. But thank you for calling my name. And Lord, till the day I die, I want to do my best to serve you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak to these people. And Lord, let them hear your voice. I thank you for Inspire Church and what you're doing here. And God, your presence is in this house, Lord. Don't let them take it for granted. This is special. Continue to move and use us. Lord, and thank you for the go. Thank you for the go in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand, praise?